We're starting this series, It Is Good, um, really out of a heart that I have within the last few months or so, just seeing and hearing and having conversations of um, people who uh, are in love and in relationships, but are, who are hurting as well. Uh, being a pastor, I tend to um, have, I guess, a, a trust that people uh, will tell me things that they won't tell a lot of people. And so I've heard stories, and my wife's the same way. Uh, she's heard stories, and uh, we've just been really burdened the last few months especially um, that while marriages and relationships are so life-giving on so many levels, bad relationships are life-draining on so many levels. Um, and our heart and our prayer just is that, uh, specifically here for our church at Synergy, that God would just uh, really inspire our relationships. Um, and and here's, here's kind of the, the other side of, of what I want to say today uh, before I jump into a scripture, is that uh, many of us in the room aren't in relationships right now. And your first thought when we jump into a relationship series, a series uh, that concerns itself with the matters of, of sex, of marriage, of being single, is that uh, this is for someone besides you. And um, we're going to look at a chapter in the Bible, in the New Testament, that I believe is practical for all of us, no matter what stage of life we're in or what stage of relationship we're in. So if you're single, this series is for you. If you're married, this single is for you. If you're divorced, this, single, this series is for you. If you're widowed, this series is for you. If you're married again, this series is for you. You fill in the blank, whatever stage of life that you may be in, my prayer is that this series would be life-giving to you, would be helpful to you, would be practical for you, to give you tools and perspective to strengthen and become more healthy with who you are and in the context of relationships, but at the same time that you wouldn't leave feeling any sense of condemnation whatsoever as a result of what we're going to talk about. Now, when it comes to the Bible, there are standards that are clearly outlined in the Bible, and we're going to look at some of those standards throughout this series. And some of you are going to look at your life and some decisions you've made and some moments that you've been in, and you're going to say, my life doesn't line up with that standard. And you're going to have a tendency to want to feel guilty or shamed, or you're going to feel as if you... Uh, messed up to a point that you can't reconcile things. And again, my heart, my heart, I, I promise you my heart, is not to highlight any of our mistakes or point out any of our flaws, but literally to help push us toward God's best for us. I want our lives to thrive in Christ, specifically in the areas of love and romance and relationships and, and the whole nine yards. So it's going to be a really, really good series. Um, it's called It Is Good because in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is the, the uh, chapter of the Bible that we're just going to walk through over the next five weeks, the Apostle Paul makes three It Is Good statements. Uh, we're going to look at those statements along with some other context and statements that he makes to help learn how we can grow in our relationship, not only with him, but with one another uh, and, and the stage of life that we're in. So uh, it is good. It's going to be life-changing is my prayer. And uh, no matter where you're at, we're going to journey through the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 7 
together. So if you have a Bible, please go ahead and turn there. Uh, In your spare time this week, as you have time, I would love to encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, You don't hear a ton of sermons from this book of the Bible because it talks about some pretty specific things, but they're so specific um, that why wouldn't we talk about them? Why wouldn't we talk about them? And here's the other thing that I'd like to say before we jump in is many times when we have questions concerning love, concerning romance, concerning relationship, we have questions about our marriage or our dating life or what it's like to be single and the struggles that we have, a lot of times we go to the wrong people to get answers to questions that we have. And we ask friends, we, we go to blogs, we read magazines, we watch television shows, and we allow standards of the world to become our standards of comparison to determine where we are and how healthy we are in our lives. Um, and I'm just simply wanting to help direct you to a chapter of the Bible that's extremely practical, that I just pray will be helpful to you. Uh, over the next five weeks specifically. So read it. Read it once a day if you can. Read it before you come on Sundays. Uh, let it be um, God's breath into you to speak to you in the area of your love, relationships, your marriage, sex. We're going to have some spicy moments in this series. Uh, so uh, if you don't feel comfortable with children being in here, then we'll admit them to Kid Synergy. But I have designed this series uh, for middle schoolers, so that's just the context of where we are. So what I'd like to do today is read the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, noting that this was written by an apostle named Paul, who was one of the early church leaders This was a letter that he had written to a church in Corinth. Thus, it's the first letter that he wrote, and that's why it's called 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. All the men are like, I don't know what road we're headed down, but I'm not liking it. Verse number two, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Let me pray for us one more time, if you don't mind. Lord, would you speak to us through the uh, Scripture this morning? Uh, Your Word tells us that your Word is living and powerful. It's active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. And I just pray that it would pierce our souls this morning and speak directly uh, the words that you would have us hear. Hide me behind your cross that the only thing that would be heard would be your voice this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the Apostle Paul, as you've just noted in this scripture, was a single man. But there's debate as to whether he was always single. 
In fact, many scholars believe that at one point he was married, and the consensus that a lot of scholars come to is that likely his wife had passed away earlier than this writing. Uh, There's a few reasons for thinking that he had formerly been married. Uh, The predominant one was that uh, he gave the context that before he became a Christian, before the Damascus Road experience where he was converted to the Christian faith, um, he noted that he was well advanced in Judaism uh, beyond his years. And many believe that he would have actually been a member of the Sanhedrin, which would have been a Jewish ruling council. And one of the requirements to serve on that council would have been that you would be married. And so a lot of people believe that he was married. Whether he was married or he wasn't married, we know for certain that at the time of this writing, he was not married. He was a single man. And so he's giving us perspective on marriage. And, and I just want us to kind of get context and allow his words to impact our life. And so let's just kind of walk through these verses one more time. Starting back again in verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Hasn't this been the heartbeat of the church for years? I mean, don't you remember as a kid, all that you would ever hear is that you should not have sex. You should not have sex. You should not have sex. And here we go again with the Apostle Paul saying, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And many of us don't like that scripture because we don't fully understand what he's trying to say in this moment. But let me give you some context so that you won't get angry and you won't leave uh, claiming me to be some blasphemer that, that is worthy to be stoned. The Apostle Paul here is answering a series of questions that the Corinthian church had written to him. We know this because he starts out this verse by saying, Now for the matters you wrote about, some versions say, Now concerning the matters that you wrote about. And so the Corinthian church had written to the Apostle Paul, and they had given him a list, it looks like, of specific questions that he's going to answer for them. But the important thing for us to understand here is that we're in chapter 7 of the book of 1 Corinthians in his letter. And he is just now beginning to answer their questions. Have you ever asked a question and you got more of an answer than you looked for? Like you were like, I was really just wanting to know this one thing. You didn't really have to go into all of this. Well, he goes into a lot of things before he answers their questions. See, they had asked specific questions. Um, it appears that they asked questions of, you know, is it okay? Is, is it frowned upon? Is it all right to live a celibate life? If, if, if men in our church, if women in our church never get married, is that okay? Is that something that we should frown upon? Um, there's questions asked about widows. There's questions asked about divorce. And there's almost a pretense and a tone in the questions that were asked to Paul that almost tried to devalue the institution of marriage. And so before he answers their question, he kind of gives them some dialogue before he jumps into their question. In chapter 6, for instance, um, he addresses the issue of prostitution in the church. 
You know, you guys want to ask me, is it okay to be single? Is it okay uh, to remarry? You want to ask me some specific questions, but let's just address some real issues that are underlying the church here in Corinth. Some of you have bought into this idea that it's okay for you to sleep with prostitutes, and that's not okay. And so he addresses that. In chapter number five, the chapter before that, he kind of goes on a little tirade because apparently here in this church in Corinth is a case of incest. A man is sleeping with his mother, his father's wife. And the church apparently had allowed this to happen and had pretended like it wasn't a big deal. And so they want to ask these specific questions, but he's like, there's bigger issues that you guys are facing than these specific questions. So he says some things to them before he begins to answer the questions. I think it's important for us to know that many times when we ask questions, we ask a lot of questions to get answers that make us feel justified about our conditions in life. Have you ever found yourself in that boat? You want to ask some specific questions that will make you feel better about some things that you don't really want to talk about? And until you begin to talk about some things that are really important, the, que- the answers to the questions you ask really aren't as relevant as you pretend that they may be. And he's addressing a church here that had allowed sexual immorality into the church, that he devalued the institution of marriage. This was an unhealthy church with regards to the relationships between husbands and wives, between uh, men and women in the area of love and romance. And so he addresses them. He talks about some issues, some deep issues, before he answers some specific questions. But then he jumps into the specific questions. And apparently the first one was about being single. That there were people in this church who were single. And for whatever reason, I don't know specifically what question that he was asked. But he addresses them by saying, It is good... For a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. In fact, some versions would say it is good for a man not to marry. It is good for a man not to marry. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations. The Apostle Paul had embraced a life at this moment of being celibate. We know that until the day that he went to be with the Lord, there's no record that he was married from this point forward. And so he lived a life being single. And a lot of us have had dreams from a young age to be married and we think that marriage makes life more complete and in a million ways it does but so many times we miss the point of seasons that God has us in and we're going to talk about this a little later but it's important for us to know that the apostle Paul is saying if you're single it is good it's good you don't have to sit through a relationship series and feel as if your life doesn't measure up or as if you're missing out on something or as if your life is incomplete. Coming from the writing of a man who was single, he is saying it is good for a man not to marry. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And I would say that there's some wisdom here in saying that it is more beneficial to never marry than to marry wrongly at any point in your life. 
And I know that it's easy to get to a point in your life where you long for something so intensely that you're willing to just jump into anything or everything so that you can feel like your life can be complete or you can have what you're searching for. But the truth is, if you've ever been through a marriage that wasn't successful, if you've ever been through a marriage that wasn't life-giving, you understand that being single is so much better than being in a bad marriage. Now, let me kind of give you some personal context here. I've never been in a bad marriage. I think it's safe to say, if you would ask my wife as well, that we have a, what I would call a blessed marriage. We have a great relationship. That We have a life-giving marriage. It is not perfect in the least. There are so many flaws that I bring into our relationship that causes frustration to my wife. There are so many flaws that, because of who we are, that cause us not to have a perfect marriage. I don't know that there is a perfect marriage. In fact, I know that there aren't perfect marriages because there's no perfect people But I would say that I've, for the last eight years of my life, been in a great, healthy, blessed marriage. I heard somebody say once, I've been been happily married for about 15 years. I've been married for 20, but I've been happily married for about 15. And there are seasons that you will go through in a marriage where you won't feel as if your marriage is what you want it to be or long for it to be. It doesn't feel life-giving. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes energy for any relationship to be successful. But having heard stories that I've heard and having had conversations with people that I've had and having listened to the pain of a bad marriage, the words of the Apostle Paul would be so beneficial to so many single people to embrace the fact that it is good for a man not to marry. It is good. You are not missing out on everything in life. You're not living a, a second-rate life because you're not married. That The season of life that you're in is a gift from God. We're going to talk about that in a few moments as well. But that's where he starts. And he's answering questions. And he's addressing being single from a perspective of saying it is good. So when we get to this idea and we reflect back on the Genesis account and we see that in Genesis chapter 2, God our Father looks at Adam, the only created human being in the image of God, and he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to him. And he fashions Eve out of Adam's rib And he gives Eve to Adam as a soulmate, as a helper. It doesn't mean that if you don't experience that marriage relationship, then your life is incomplete. I think so many times without saying it, we believe that myth. There is a completeness that happens in marriage. But I want you to understand the mathematics in God's kingdom. Two people coming together become one. That's marriage. A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. The two will become one flesh. The two will become one flesh. But two parts don't make a whole. Two holes make a whole. And any part that comes together with another part 
any man that comes together with a woman and they aren't in themselves complete in God will bring dysfunction into a relationship and expect for someone to fix their shortcomings, expect for someone to make them complete. And the truth is, if you aren't complete going into marriage, no one's going to complete you. Only God can do that. And so just because you haven't experienced that relationship doesn't mean that you aren't experiencing God's best in this moment for your life. Set the past aside. For whatever reason, you're single in this moment. It is good. It is good for a man not to marry. And then we jump to verse number two. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. Now, notice this phrase, but since sexual immorality is occurring. He makes a statement, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but since sexual immorality is occurring... Here's a caveat. In Paul's mind, there is a great, huge benefit to being single. But since sexual immorality occurs and is occurring in the church in Corinth, he is setting a standard. He is reinforcing a standard. You know, he wouldn't be making a statement since sexual immorality is occurring if there weren't any standards sexually. If there were no standards sexually, then there couldn't be sexual immorality. But just the fact that he makes a statement, since sexual immorality is occurring, lets us know that the standard that God has set for his people when it comes to sexuality and marriage and relationships is being broken by the church. Can we do this? This is, this is maybe a little elementary for you. Can we read the second half of that passage together? Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. One more time. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. If you have any questions whatsoever what the standard that God has for sexuality comes to, This is pretty clear. If you're a man, when it comes to sexual relations, you've got one option and one option only. That's with your own wife. If you're a woman, when it comes to sexual relations, you've got one option. That's with your own husband. Only option. No other options. Any other option outside of one man with one woman in the confines of marriage, your own husband, your own wife, anything outside of that, Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. Sexual relations. Sexuality is a gift from God, but it's designed to be experienced in a context that's defined by God. And outside of that context, it's not measuring up to a standard that God has set. Now, we don't like to talk about standards being broken in this area. And we're not going to point out any 
of our flaws in this series. But it is astonishing to me the rate of sexual immorality that occurs within the church. I don't know about around the world, but I know specifically here in America. Just like in the first century church in Corinth, there was an abundance of sexual immorality occurring. The sexual relations were occurring outside of the confines of marriage. And a standard was being broken. And the Apostle Paul is clearly identifying this because apparently there were some questions asked as to whether we can lower these standards. He goes to far, so far as to say it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Meaning, outside of the context that it's intended for, it's extremely unhealthy. It doesn't matter what type of desires may be fulfilled, it's unhealthy. But since there is sexual immorality, let's be specific. Let's live according to a standard. And we don't like to talk about that in today's culture. We kind of like to kind of hem-haul around things and make each other feel good and say God's grace covers a multitude of sins, which it does. But I want you to hear me from this point forward, moving forward. I just never want you to be able to say for some reason, well, I just didn't know. I just, just didn't know. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 7 Verse 3, verse 2, right? You know the standard now, okay? Just so we're all on the same page, just to make that clear, we're all on the same page. And inside that context, sexual relations are such an incredible gift from the Lord. So much so that the Apostle Paul is going to take it a step further, and he's going to give instruction to husbands and to wives concerning this very issue. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. Some versions say his conjugal duty. His, his sexual relations is defined by Paul as a duty in the context of marriage. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Now, women, I know that when you were dreaming of the perfect man... You never in a million years would have enjoyed the fact that what he has to offer you is a duty. Like, you would never put yourself in the category with take out the trash and pick up the mail and cut the yard and sexual relations with my wife, right? It just doesn't feel very romantic, right? It doesn't feel very romantic to say, you know, this is a duty, this is an obligation, it's a responsibility of mine. Because we live in this romantic world and we want people to want us and we want to feel treasured and we want to feel special. And the Apostle Paul is just jumping in and saying, hey, you married? Look, hey, all you husbands, fulfill your marital duty to your wife. Women, you married? Fulfill your marital duty to your husband. And I think we don't like the idea of it being considered a duty because it trumps our idea and our, our, our longing for desire. Okay? It's like we have desires that we want to be met, but we don't want to be treated like a duty. 
And because sometimes our desires aren't met, it forces us to look at people in a perspective that would cause them to think that the duty that we have within the confines of that marriage relationship aren't being met. Now, verse number four. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, all the men, I know you want to go get a magnet and put this on the refrigerator. This is like, that's my life verse. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but she yields it to her husband. But just keep in mind, this next verse, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. In other words, this is an idea that Paul's introducing of mutual submission. That we submit ourselves to one another. Which is far different from how we started out our relationships. Think back to when you were dating. When you were dating the woman that you're sitting next to if you're married. If you're dating now. If you're engaged. If you dream of dating one day. And the statements that we used to make to one another, I would do anything for you. I would give anything for you. I, I would climb the highest mountain. I would swim the deepest ocean. I would traverse the widest cavern just to meet any need that you may have. And we talk as if I want to meet your needs. I want to do things for you. But then we get married, right? And we somehow we just reverse that mentality and we start thinking you're not meeting my needs you're not doing things for me I have desires I have unfulfilled dreams in my life and I feel like you're not doing what you're supposed to do for me and what once used to be a mindset to do anything to give anything to be anything for someone else has become this warped mentality that says, I resent you because you don't do anything for me. And we've allowed the roles to be reversed that says, I deserve things instead of I get to do things. It's because we're led by our desires. And we allow our desires to dictate the health in our relationship. And as long as our desires are met then we feel as if we have a healthy marriage. But if there comes a point where we feel like our desires aren't being met, then we begin to resent the person who's not meeting our needs. Let's look at the next, next verse, number five. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. This is your duty. Don't deprive one another. Except for perhaps... For a period of prayer. And then listen, and then once you're done praying, come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. We allow ourselves to be driven by desire, but if two people are driven by desire, they'll resent one another. Because they'll constantly be thinking of having their own needs met. And they'll be looking through the perspective of desire that says, you've got to do something for me. You've got to meet my need. You've got to, you know, be a blessing to me. And when two people are looking inwardly at getting something from the relationship, then there's going to be a void 
in between those two people. And Paul is saying, you're looking at it wrong. It's not a desire that drives your relationship. It's a duty. You're called to serve your spouse. You're called to give yourself to your spouse. You're called to meet your spouse's needs. You're called to love your spouse in such a way that you selflessly give of yourself, even to the point where you wouldn't even consider your body your own. Now, if two people are giving to one another in such a way, and they're driven by that duty, then I can promise you your desires will be met. But if we allow the desires to dictate, do you see the difference? If we allow desires to dictate a relationship, then we create a separation because we're looking to get something from someone else. But rather than looking to get something from someone, if we're looking to give to someone and we're mutually giving to one another, then needs will be met and we'll be fulfilling our duty in marriage and we'll experience a blessed marriage. See, Jesus, he's not a taker, he's a giver. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And when we carry this mentality of the world into our relationships, it says, I deserve this from me. I desire this. You should do this. We have these mentalities that like, once I get married, like they'll do that and I won't have to, and my life will be better. Let's step outside of the context of sexual relations and just look at marriages as a whole. You got married and you expected, it wasn't communicated, but you expected someone to do something for you. You expected them to carry some role in life. And you were driven by that desire to receive something, but when that desire was unmet, then you began to resent that person. You know, I I didn't dream to get married so that I would have to keep filling the blank. You know, I didn't sign up to have to deal with filling the blank. The reason I married you was so that you would fill in the blank. You're like, whoa, I thought that you would climb the highest mountain, traverse the widest canyon. I thought that you'd swim the deepest ocean for me. And now that you're mad because I'm not doing something that I'm supposed to do. And we've got to be driven by the duty that Paul has outlined for us. Mutual submission. We receive most when we give most. When we expect most and give the least, we'll receive the least. It's mutual. God didn't grant you a servant in a spouse. He never promised you someone that would just do everything for you. What he promised was that He would give you someone that you would long to give to, that you would long to bring fulfillment to. And in so doing, you would receive such rich blessings in that relationship. Verse 6. I say this as a concession, not as a command. He's about to make a statement, and he's clarifying. The statement I'm about to make is not a command, I'm not commanding this over you. It's a concession. It's something that I think is great advice, but it's not law. And here it is. I wish that all of you were as I am. Namely, single. I wish that all of you were as I am. Who says that, by the way? I want everybody to be just like me. 
The Apostle Paul feels so strongly based on the questions that they had asked that he says, look, my situation is the best option for your life. My situation is the best option for your life. Look, some of the best ministry that I ever accomplished was when I was single. It was a different stage of my life where I had different responsibilities and I had more time to invest in different ways. Man, I can remember as a student pastor and spending so many late nights on weekends out with students, just enjoying life and pouring into those teenagers. And I can remember being in the exact same position after I got married. And I didn't spend those same nights on those same weekends with those students because my life's focus had shifted. Now, what Paul's saying here is there is great benefit in being as I am, meaning being single. So much so that he says, I wish you were all as I am. So if you are, if you're single, you've got to understand that the season of life that you're in is it's a gift from God. It's an opportunity for you to be everything that he's called you to be. But then he says, But each one of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, and another has that. Since you can't all be like me, since God hasn't called you all to be celibate, since God hasn't called you all to live a single life, he's given each of you gifts. To some he's given this, another he's given that. I want you to note this, and this is what I'm going to end on, that word gift. Your own gift from God in the original language is the word charisma. It can be interpreted gift. It can be interpreted grace. It can also be interpreted gift of grace. Here's what I want you to understand about the season of life that you're in right now in this moment. Is that it's a gift from God. There is a grace on your life because of that season. If you're single... God's given you a grace in being single that can cover and hide any types of longings that you may have or dreams that you may have for something in the future. And that grace can be embraced in such a way that you don't have to believe that life will be better one day, but life can be best today because you can be complete and whole in Jesus Christ, he's given you this gift, this grace. And to another, he's given that gift. If you're married today, he's given you grace in your marriage. I don't know, so many marriages go through seasons where they seem so unhealthy. I won't give you specifics, but I know people who I was dear friends with who were married over 30 years and just suddenly ended it and said, we were pretending the whole time we never loved each other. Right? I know so many situations that when you look on the surface, you think they're just so happily married. They're just such a beautiful couple. And then behind the scenes, we see people who are hurting who are in pain, whose relationships don't seem life-giving. 
And what I wanted to tell you today is that God has given you a gift, a gift of grace, that there is grace for you in this season. No matter how difficult the season may be in this moment, no matter how much pain you may experience in a relationship or a lack of a relationship, no matter how many times you think life would be better if I would just move on, no matter how many times you cry out to God to rescue and deliver you, you need to know that He has given you a gift and a grace for this season. And His grace strengthens us and His grace helps us and His grace is sufficient in all of our weaknesses. And I just wanted to in this opening week, just kind of say to you, wherever you are right now, I would love for you to leave today embracing the fact that I am where I am because it's a gift from God and there is grace available for me in this season. And His grace will carry me when I don't have the strength to go on and His grace will be sufficient to me in the midst of any weaknesses. And I'm going to focus less on my desires and more on my duties so that I can give of myself wholeheartedly and fully. And in so giving and trying to meet the needs of someone else, I'll just trust by the grace of God that my life will be fulfilled.